Well, as we said, we are here to recognize the ordination of Reverend Jared Cruz. And uh, as we said, he was ordained technically earlier this year, but we're here to recognize that tonight. And I'm going to direct this message primarily to Pastor Cruz, but it's also intended for you as a congregation as well. So Pastor Cruz has wisely chosen to, to sit right here in the front of you so I can direct some of this to him. But again, don't fall asleep because a lot of this also applies to us as a church as well. And as I thought about what passage to choose tonight for this particular charge, I thought, was there any time when Jesus himself gave a charge to his 12 apostles, the leaders of the future church? Was there a time when he gave a charge that summarized what their mission was to be about? And in fact, when we look in the Gospels, we find that Jesus did give us such a charge, a commission, if you will. And so this commission that he gave them was so important, so memorable, so central, that you might even call it not just an okay commission, not just a good commission, but a great commission. And so that's going to be my text tonight, the Great Commission, what we know as the Great Commission, Matthew 28, which we read already. Now, before we go any further, we need to first get some misconceptions out of our heads. When I say the words Great Commission, some of you might think, well, why are we choosing that passage? Wouldn't that be a text that you'd use if you were sending a missionary out into the field? Isn't that really a missions passage? And to that I would say no. Matthew 28 is not meant to be just a passage about evangelism, and it's not meant to be associated with what we normally call missions. But rather, this text is much broader than that. In this passage, Jesus is commissioning not just missionaries, but leaders who have charge over the entire church with a central purpose that is to guide their ministries until he comes again. And that is why I've chosen this passage for tonight's recognition service for Pastor Cruz, if we were to ask the question, what should our purpose be, both as leaders of the church and for the church as a whole, I would say this is where we should look. For here we find some of Jesus' final words, that is, his final instructions. Here he looks out at the 11 apostles who are left and tells them, here is the purpose statement of what the church should be about. And you as leaders are the ones who should internalize this and communicate it to others. This is your commission. So Pastor Cruz, as a fellow minister of the gospel, remember this commission. And for all of us as a church, you must remember this and live by it as well. So with that being said, let's hear what Jesus has to say. And it says again, Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the Great Commission. Now before we explore this, a few observations are in order. First of all, when we read this chapter, we note that the Great Commission was given specifically to the 11 apostles. Judas, of course, had hanged himself at this point, leaving just the 11 apostles. And verse 16 says, Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. So Jesus speaks these words just to them, and not the crowds or the multitudes. And it's clear that the reason he does this is so that they would be the first leaders of the church and they would internalize this. The apostle Paul, of course, had not yet been converted. The first deacons had not yet been chosen. That comes later in the book of Acts. 
and elders had not yet been set up in churches either. So that means that these were the central leaders of the church at that point in time. Of course, they're not the only believers on the face of the earth at this point, but nevertheless, Jesus directs this message specifically to them because they would be the ones who would be entrusted with this mission of the church. Their job would be to know this commission front and back. They were to internalize it, to live it out, to never forget it, and most of all, to pass it on. And as the leaders, they were charged with passing this mission on to all believers that they themselves would teach. And that brings me to the second important note, which is that although Jesus is speaking just to the 11 apostles here, this commission was not only for them. This was not a command that was only meant for 11 men and no one else. How do we know that? Because Jesus gives them a task that is clearly impossible to accomplish in the lifetime of just 11 men. That is, he says, quote, to make disciples of all nations. Now, maybe if after Jesus spoke, they packed their bags and traveled as far as they could in opposite directions, they might reach some nations, but they certainly wouldn't be able to reach all nations. And it's clear from what Jesus is asking them to do that this commission was not just meant for them alone, but for the entirety of the church, that's church with a capital C, to accomplish. Additionally, we could note from verse 16 that the text refers to them not only as 11 apostles, but instead 11 disciples. He calls them disciples. That would seem to highlight the fact that what Jesus is about to tell them here is meant for the disciples of the world to accomplish. And that means that all believers everywhere throughout all time are being tasked with this purpose. That means that this great commission is given to all of us This text isn't just for Pastor Cruz. It isn't just for the pastors of the world or for the elders of the world or for the deacons of the world. It's what all of us together should be about. But with that being said, that does not mean that all of us are involved with every aspect of the Great Commission in the same way. For example, this text is not a call for each one of us to baptize people. I believe that's for the leaders of the church to do. Nor does this text require all of us to go to the ends of the world and none of us stay in Lebanon. Rather, this commission, and I want you to catch this, this commission is corporately for the church to accomplish. And the leaders, i.e. the apostles in the text and all who would lead after them, are charged with being the ones who would internalize and steer the church toward this goal. Let me say that again. This commission is given corporately for the church to accomplish. And the leaders are charged with being the ones to internalize and steer the church toward this goal. They are the ones who are charged with the task of passing this on to the next generation. So each of us isn't called individually to fulfill every part of the Great Commission, but we all are, as one body, called to fulfill it. So Pastor Cruz, as much as you are able, you are to use the gifts that God has given you to help the church fulfill that purpose. And to you, church, you should not expect Pastor Cruz to fulfill each task on his own. He does not possess every gift. He cannot develop every disciple, and he cannot make disciples of literally every nation. He's not Jesus. We are called to follow in, uh, to follow in his examples, but the burden of this entire command does not rest just on him. Again, it's on us corporately together. 
With those things being said, let's move on to the command itself, the commission itself. And I'm going to focus specifically on verses 19 and 20. And in this text, I see a few things. Number one, if you look at your text, verses 19 and 20, you'll see that there's a central command of this passage. It says, make disciples, make disciples. Then we see an accompanying condition preceding it, go or going would be the literal way of rendering that. There are two also non-negotiable means by which we make disciples in the text. Number one, baptizing, and number two, teaching. Teaching believers to observe what Jesus commanded them. That's verses 19 and 20. And then finally, there's one promise. He says, I am with you always to the end of the age, verse 20. So again, there's one central command, make disciples, one accompanying condition, go, two means of making disciples, baptizing and teaching, and one promise, I am with you always to the end of the age. So let's look at this in detail. First, we begin the, with the accompanying or assumed condition, go, we're going. Matthew 28, 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Now this little word, word go has been the object of a lot of overemphasis and also underemphasis. So we want to be careful as we study this one word and not fall into either trap. First of all, I want to point out that while it may appear in English like there are two main verbs in the sentence, go and make disciples, there really is only one verb, and that's make disciples. That's the central idea here, not go. Go in the original Greek is actually a participle. And in English, a participle is usually a word that we think of as ending in ing, not always, but most times. So if you were to render this verse literally, it would read, going therefore, you all disciple the nations. Going therefore, you all disciple all the nations. So this word go, or literally going, isn't the central command. Make disciples is. And that should guard us against emphasizing that word go beyond what the text allows. So Pastor Cruz, this text is not telling you that at the end of this service to immediately go, get out of here, and make disciples someplace far, far away. That's not what the commission is saying. On the other hand, lest we diminish this word too much, we cannot read this text as if it didn't exist either. And what I mean is we can't treat the Great Commission as if Jesus said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. The go is there for a reason. So what does it mean? Dr. Daniel Wallace, uh, in his Greek grammar, says that we should understand this word go or going as an attending circumstance participle, meaning that while going isn't the main thing, we should nevertheless treat it as inseparable from the main verb. Here are some other examples that are found in the Gospels. Matthew 9, 13, Jesus says, now go and learn what this means. Go and then a verb, the go being the participle. Luke 5, 14, go and show yourself to the priest. Matthew 28, 7, go quickly and tell the disciples that Jesus has been raised. And so you see in each of these cases, now go and learn or go and show or go and tell, the person couldn't show themselves to the priest without first going. And when the angel says, go quickly and tell his disciples, it was impossible for those women to tell the disciples without first going. So the bottom line is that making disciples cannot be divorced from going. Some element of making disciples must include this idea of going as well. Going is an inseparable attending condition to our making disciples. What does this mean for Pastor Cruz? It means that as you shepherd teens, in the youth group, 
as you shepherd people here of all ages, and as you serve as a pastor throughout all of your days, be sure to instill this idea into your flock, the idea of going. Again, that doesn't have to mean traveling to a foreign country, and we know this even because even after Jesus gave this command, many of the apostles remained in Jerusalem as, quote, pillars of the church, as Paul would later, later call them. It wasn't that all of them traveled as far as they could after Jesus said these words. But rather, the idea of going reminds us that if we are going to reach a lost world, we have to, by necessity, go to them. We're not supposed to wait for them to come to us. And we as a church demonstrated this, I think, in a powerful way when we did our family fun day a few years back in a community park where we were going with the aim of evangelizing, which was just one step in making disciples, not the complete process, but one step. And you see, it wasn't that we needed to travel across the world to do that, but we did need to go into the world. So the bottom line is that as you think about this main goal for us, even as a church, make disciples, that is. Never lose sight of that role of going. And that brings us to the next main point, and which is the central main point, the command of this passage, which is make disciples of all nations. Verse 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So don't lose sight of this. This is our main purpose. We as a church are called to make disciples. That's something we can never forget. Note that the text does not say, go and make converts. It's not telling us that if we go out and share the gospel in the streets to our neighbors or to our children and then stop there, that we have to somehow say that we've accomplished this mission. No, rather, to make disciples goes beyond conversion. And this is where those who make the Great Commission solely an evangelistic text get it wrong. For the largest part of making disciples involves the process of sanctification, growing in our faith. So if you think about our conversion, and if you think about it just as a dot on a timeline, and the date of our death as that other end dot, we have this time all in between, this time of sanctification, this time of growing. This largest part is also part of making disciples. We tend to think of it just as this evangelistic moment, but all of it is included in this idea of making disciples. What this means, Pastor Cruz, is that when you preach, you're making disciples. When you teach, you're making disciples. When you instruct your daughter Lucy, you're making a disciple. When you're showing her how to live and to follow Jesus, you are helping to make her a disciple. When you meet with and train teens, you're making disciples. Disciple-making is a lifelong process. So, Pastor Cruz, make disciples in your life, but also lead the individuals under your care in the church in the process of making disciples themselves. Teach them on how they can make disciples. Inspire them to be disciple-makers. One more thought about this central command. As a church, we must not overlook the fact that Jesus said, make disciples, and he didn't stop there, but he said, of who? of all nations, of all nations. And really the Greek word for nations, ethnos, means of all people groups, ethnicities, backgrounds, whether in a foreign country or here in Lebanon County, it's not a geopolitical term, but a term about ethnicity. Now again, we don't want to overemphasize or underemphasize this either. On one hand, this phrase of all nations doesn't mean necessarily 
doesn't mean that the missions board uh, for them that we need to make sure that we are working in each and every country literally or among each and every people group here in Lebanon or else if we don't do that we're somehow failing. Uh, Certainly this great commission is for the entire church universal everywhere in the world and we cannot do it all on our own. So we can't reach every single group on our own. But on the other hand, my fear is that some of us might read Matthew 28, 19 as if it says, therefore go and make disciples, period. We functionally may read or might be led to read this text as if of all nations isn't in there, and that should never be. As a church, as individual Christians, we should have just as much concern in our hearts for those of Puerto Rican descent, those of Haitian descent, those of Korean descent. And in Jesus' day, what he was trying to get his apostles to see was that this gospel was not just for the Jews, it was for the Gentiles as well. And here he's making it very clear to us, go and preach the gospel to all nations, all people groups, people of all backgrounds. It's an inseparable part from this command. So, Pastor Cruz, as you minister, instill in your teens, instill in the church a gospel message that is for all people. And as a church, as we support Pastor Cruz, let's be of one mind in making disciples, both here in Lebanon and also to people in all groups, all ethnicities, and throughout this world as well. But now we come to point three, the two non-negotiable means of making disciples. And we see them there in the text. It says, baptizing them and then teaching them to obey all that Jesus commanded. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, it says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them always to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Again, grammatically speaking, make disciples is the main verb, and we don't want to lose sight of that. But the words baptizing and teaching are the participles of means by which this happens, or you could say two ways in which this happens. In short, Jesus is saying, here's your mission, make disciples, and then here's how you do it, baptizing and teaching. First of all, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We see this throughout the book of Acts. People are convicted by the gospel, and then they ask, what should I do next? Peter in Acts chapter 2 verse 38 says, repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So the two are meant to go together, repent and be baptized. Jesus is saying here in the Great Commission that if someone believes, tell them they need to step, uh, take that step of identifying publicly with Christ through baptism. So Pastor Cruz, as you continue to serve, when you have the opportunity to baptize, consider it all joy. Of all things that Jesus could have mentioned in the Great Commission, he mentions baptism. So be excited when people are baptized. Be excited when the teens are baptized. Be excited when you see people of this church that are baptized. And if the Lord wills, and you get to see that joy of Lucy being baptized one day, be excited for her. Encourage them to do so when they've trusted in Christ. The second way that we make disciples is also found in verse 19 quote, by teaching them to observe, or as the NIV says, to obey all that I have commanded. The word to observe is tereo in Greek, which means to keep or to hold on to or to not let go of. So we're to teach people to obey Christ's commands. 
but we're to do so in a way that we implore them to hold on to those commands or to remain faithful to those commands. And so the bottom line is that Jesus is commanding us to teach, but to teach with a specific aim in mind so that people will obey what Jesus commanded. How do we do this? Well, we could look at Jesus' own example, ask that question, how did Jesus do that himself? And of course, the main way that Jesus did this was to teach. Jesus taught in large crowds, and he taught in small, intimate settings, just with the twelve. Jesus, quote, taught the people to observe all that he commanded, paraphrasing from the Great Commission here. When he gave the Sermon on the Mount, showing people what it meant to truly obey God's commandments, that was him teaching them to observe. Jesus taught his apostles in smaller settings about how they should, quote, love one another. And so Jesus accomplished this purpose by actually teaching, literally teaching. And so, too, Pastor Cruz, continue to teach, continue to preach as a central part of your ministry. And by doing so, you follow Christ's example. But the second way that Jesus taught others to, quote, observe all that he commanded them was by showing them in actions. And perhaps the most dramatic example of this was when Jesus washed his disciples' feet. There, Jesus didn't only teach his disciples to serve one another with his words, but he taught them by showing them. He taught by example. And so, Pastor Cruz, when you consider your charge to teach those in this church, quote, to observe all that I have commanded you, remember that you fulfill this command by both teaching them in words and also by teaching them to observe Jesus' commands through your example. You teach people to observe all that Jesus commanded when you preach, and you also teach them to observe all that I have commanded when you lead a service project, when you model that obedience, just as Jesus did in washing feet. So finally, as we come to this promise, this promise of the passage, that's the concluding part of this great commission. And he says in Matthew 28, 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. What we have just studied can be overwhelming, but take heart for two reasons. Number one, you aren't called to fulfill this mission on your own. It's our job together as the church to help you as a pastor, and he is there with you until the very end of the age. Jesus is there with you forever. In this passage, the disciples were about to experience a very scary reality, a world without Jesus. And not long after this, he would ascend into heaven and they would be left on their own. Jesus knew this and he knew it would be scary for them. So he left them with this reassurance, behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I'll tell you, and you know this, being a pastor is a weighty responsibility. But in the times when you feel overwhelmed, remember that Jesus is with you always. Make this as like a plaque on your wall. On days when you are discouraged or tired or lost or anything, remember this verse. Lo, I am with, I'm with you always until the end of the age. Yes, this commission is great but we reminded that this promise is even greater. And that's a promise for us, too, as a church, that though we have a massive task in front of us, Jesus promises, promises to be with us to the very end of the age till he returns. 
So as we have talked about the Great Commission tonight, the takeaway is not that you should try to accomplish it all yourself, not at all, for the commission ultimately is the responsible, responsibility of us all together. But rather, as you lead, let this commission be the thing that keeps you on the right path. May it be your north star that guides you. May it be the passion that burns in your heart. May you pass on that same passion to others. And may we as a congregation continue to pray and support Pastor Cruz. May we uphold him in prayer before the throne of God. And in the words of the Apostle Paul, may we, quote, follow him as he follows Christ. Christ has commissioned not just Pastor Cruz, but all of us tonight to go, therefore, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that he has commanded us. And know this, Pastor, that he is with you to the end of the age. Amen. Pastor Cruz, would you come on up here and uh, restate your vows? <clears throat> Just want to remind you this really is a sacred commitment between you and God. Do you believe in one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? And do you confess anew the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord? And acknowledge him head over all things to the church, which is his body? If so, answer, I do. Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the inspired word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and life? If so, answer, I do. Do you sincerely receive and adopt the articles of faith of the Bible Fellowship Church as containing the system of doctrine taught in the Holy Scriptures? Again, if so, answer, I do. Will you endeavor to follow the government and discipline of the Bible Fellowship Church? Do you promise subjection to your brethren in the Lord? Have you been inwardly persuaded as far as you know, your own heart, to seek the office of the Christian ministry in response to God's call, out of love for Him, and in a sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? Again, answer, I have been persuaded. Do you determine to be zealous and faithful in maintaining the truths of the gospel and the purity of peace of the church? Whatever persecution or opposition may arise unto you on that account, again, answer, I do. Do you purpose to be faithful and diligent to the exercise of all your duties as a Christian and as a minister of the gospel, both public and private, endeavoring by the grace of God to feed the flock of which God shall make you overseer to seek the salvation of the lost and to walk with exemplary piety before men? If so, answer, I do. Very good. Will the men who are elders of this congregation please come and join us up here to lay hands and pray over our brother. Our Father in heaven, we praise you for your sovereign grace and power in our lives, a grace and a power that calls us to salvation, and a grace and a power that calls a man into the ministry. Father, we praise you and we thank you for Jared, for his wife Jen, and we pray that you would be with him and his family 
as He serves you. The Lord, being one of your servants, places Him on the front line in a very great and very real battle. And so, Father, we pray your protection over Him. We pray that you will enable Him to serve you fully, to meet and minister to the needs of the people that you place under His watchful care. May He genuinely be a shepherd looking after the sheep, protecting them when they need protecting, feeding them regularly, and tending to their wounds and the needs that they have when He discovers them. Father, we do pray that you would use this man in great and marvelous ways, not for his glory, but for your own, and for the establishment of your church and for the wonder of your kingdom to spread in this world. Father, we thank you for this man and your call upon his life. May you glorify yourself in it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heavenly Father, we rejoice today in what you are doing in the life of Jared Cruz. And we also rejoice in what you are doing in the life of our church. We remember Pastor Cruz as a child. He was born in this church. And Father, you brought him to faith at a very young age during a time with his mother. And then you prepared his heart for the calling of the pastorate. You gave him ability to serve you well as youth fellowship president you gave him respect of his peers, sharing the gospel with his school friends, inviting them to church, and seeking those needing a friend, being genuinely concerned with those around him. Father, we thank you that you have been developing and growing our pastor for the last 26 years. Thank you for giving him the opportunities to study at Lancaster Bible College and then on to Missio Seminary. Father, you gave Pastor Cruz a mate with the same concern and love for people as he has. And now, Father, in their union, you have granted them a baby girl. It's obvious there are immense joys for a pastor's wife and pastor's children, but it's also obvious there are great challenges. We pray for Jen, we pray for Lucy, and any other future members of this family as they enter into this work alongside Pastor Cruz. We pray for blessings they will experience together and the opportunities they will have to honor you. And we pray for the difficulties and maybe even some of the heartache that will be endured because of the work you have called them to. Father, I pray you would grant them joy, grant them peace, grant them patience, and grant them endurance. And Lord, continue to grow their love for each other, their love for their congregation, and ultimately, their love for you. Father, Please bless this family. And as we think of the position to which you have called Pastor Cruz, Father, we pray for an increasing love for your word and the right handling of it. Father, we ask that he will lead wisely along with the elders with which he will serve. Father, we pray that you will intensify Pastor Cruz's passion for the lost and his desire to disciple those in his flock. Father, we pray for compassion and a genuine concern for those under his care. And Father, we freely admit that none of this will happen without you. Father, please draw Pastor Cruz closer and closer to yourself every day. May he stay in your word 
in the communion of prayer. For you are the lifeblood of anything we ever hope to accomplish in your name. Father, may we work together with Pastor Cruz to build your kingdom and to glorify your name. Heavenly Father, please bless our pastor and please bless the work to which you have called him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.